I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller, she wrote. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy-to-stick-to way of life. Whether you're trying to lose weight or get fit for good, Noom is here to help you get there. Commit only 10 minutes a day for yourself. Get started with a free trial when you sign up today at noom.com ag. And thanks to Best Fiends for supporting Muller, she wrote. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Download free at the Apple App Store or on Google Play. This is Jack Bryan, the co-writer and director of Active Measures, and you are listening to Mother She Wrote. Lucky you. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did have, not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your anonymous host, A.G., and I'll be joined remotely by Jordan Coburn today. And I'm going to replay for you today the interview with Glenn Kirshner about the astounding move the Department of Justice made this week by filing a motion to dismiss the charges against General Michael Flynn, who pleaded guilty a lot and admitted 10 ways that he crimed. Uh, I think that interview, which comes from our sister podcast, The Daily Beans, is important enough to listen to again here on this podcast because it discusses the silver linings and reminds us all that the headlines, which told us Department of Justice drops charges against Flynn, are misleading. Uh, Nothing can happen here without Sullivan's go-ahead, so I want as many people as possible to hear that interview. We have a big show. Uh, A lot is going on in Mueller-related news as 2020 heats up. Uh, Just this morning, uh, right as I took a break between recording segments for this show and the other show, Trump tweeted about 20 times uh, with regards to the Russia investigation. It's all over his mind right now. And as 2020 heats up and Bill Barr, along with Trump, try to discredit Russian interference, uh, it's just going to get worse. But before we get to the headlines, it's time for some corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, from Bernardo and also from Julia, I listen to both podcasts religiously, especially during these horrible times. It's sanity saving to have such well-informed, funny and passionate voices nearby. On the May 8th episode of Daily Beans, during the interview, AG briefly mentioned the Pentagon Papers case. And I said, I believe he went to prison uh, about the guy who leaked the papers. He actually did not go to prison. All the charges against him, Daniel Ellsberg, were dismissed by the judge in 1973. The case was dismissed because the government misconduct, they tried to bribe the judge with an FBI director position. Uh, Ellsberg would actually 
have been be a wonderful guest on Miller She Wrote or Daily Beans, I think. Also, happy birthday to Jordan. I could listen to you mispronounce words anytime. Thank you very much for, for that, Bernardo and Julia. From Glenn, the sharing of jobs is nice uh, is a nice change to the show. So it's the Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court will not really look and decide, is this the kind of thing we should be deciding? Courts are of limited jurisdiction. They can only hear those cases they are authorized by law to hear. So the court's inquiry would always be, do we have the power and right to hear this case? If so, we decide on the issue, like the House subpoenas. There's a difference between we do not clearly have the right to decide the case and we shouldn't or we can't. That's why... Uh, they will do a 5-4. Anyways, thank you. You're the court jesters. It's important work to cheer up the masses. They need humor. All right. Well, thank you, Glenn. Um, yes, obviously, the, there's two different ways to not hear a case. You can either say it's it's not our jurisdiction, uh, it's not justiciable here in the court, or uh, we aren't going to hear it because uh, the merits suck, but uh, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and, and in which case, if they decide not to hear it on justiciability, uh, then it's gone. The case is gone. But if they decide not to hear it on the merits, then it kicks it back down to the next lower court's decision. From Mella, dear AG, Jordan and Amanda, it's a treat to have such strong, funny women inform you about what's going on over there in the States, although it's tragic to hear what Republicans have done and are still doing to your country. I don't have a correction as such, but Jordan pondered last week whether plants are inanimate. Being a passionate gardener, I was shouting at the phone, no, no, they are alive. This is an incredible documentary on how trees communicate, nurture, and feed each other. Even just the trailer will rock your world. It's at uh, intelligent-trees.com. Thank you for your diligence and persistence, Mella and Ireland. Thank you, Mella. I know I read a book in college, something about... Uh, I'd have to. It's on my bookshelf right now. I can't remember what it's called, but people, people looked at how plants responded to negative and positive um, speaking voices and yelling and terrible dissonant sounds and pleasant and wonderful sounds. And so, yeah, agreed. From Danny, it's great to be privileged and be able to work from home, but saying things like people are stupid to fight to get back to their shitty jobs is tone deaf. People are scared shitless because they literally can't feed their family, pay rent, car payments, etc., and are scared of COVID. I agree with you initially on this topic, but then I listened to the story on The Daily about African-American meat plant immigrant, uh, and it, it rocked my mindset. I was stunned. Here's a link. Anyways, thank you. The show keeps me feeling sane. Thanks, Danny. I, 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 I hope that nobody think... My point was that the protesters that are out trying to reopen America, um, I think, are protesting for the wrong reasons. I, if I'm sorry if I wasn't clear. And I will definitely check out that that link that you sent. And we'll send that link out in the newsletter. I appreciate that. Um, the last thing I want to do is be tone deaf about that. People need work. And there's, in, there's dignity in work. And I... The perspective I was trying to put out there isn't that, you know, your jobs are shitty. Why do you want them back? It's more of, you know, why are these people, why are the, you know, the the Branch Covidians, the Flu Klux Klan or whatever you want to call them, the big, the guy, the white guys with guns uh, storming Michigan state uh, capital. Why are they um, so intent on, on going back to work where they don't have health care and they don't have sick pay. It's just one of those cognitive dissonant things. And I hope that I wasn't trying to, you know, your point is taken. Let's just say that. And, um, you know, I, I also lost my job in this process. So I would give anything to get it back. Um, but 
it doesn't mean that it was good to begin with. How about that? Um, in any case, thank you. Um, from Sarah, first, thanks for the good news block. It's helpful to end on a positive note. I first noted the word usage in imminently prosecutable that came up again recently. I normally don't write people about word usage, but since MSW and Daily Beans deal with legal issues, the distinction can become important. So between imminently and eminently, uh, confusion between these is common, but basically imminently means soon and eminently means very. So imminently prosecutable, prosecutable soon, whereas eminently prosecutable, super duper prosecutable. Just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, maybe I meant prosecutable soon. No, I'm kidding. I'll, I'll <laughs> take that correction, put it in my pocket. Appreciate it. Uh, from B. I love your podcast. I've been a patron for a couple years now. I depend on your podcast to help me dispel bullshit when my Trump-loving relatives bring up politics. The main MSW account tweeted tonight about churches getting PPP loans despite not paying taxes. I work with my state's overwhelmed Department of Labor, and while I generally agree the government is overly deferential to religious non-taxpayers, a big motivation of the CARES Act was to be sure that workers of businesses who don't usually qualify for things like unemployment could get some type of funds. Church workers rarely qualify due to religious exemptions, but can be paid with PPP. I hope all is well and keep making uh, good trouble for the assholes out there. Thanks, B. Thanks for that clarification. From Rory, you guys are the best podcast going. I get a little smile every time the podcast is downloading on my phone. It reminds me there are sane people out there. This isn't really a correction, just sort of a perspective thing. I've noticed you guys use the term taxpayers' dollars a lot, and I'm sure it's without reference to the political connotations of that term, but I feel it's actually a very right-wing term. It's designed to alienate those who do not pay taxes, for whatever reason, from participation in uh, discussion of spending. But every single person has an interest on how money is spent, not just those who are... who are able to contribute. We people outside the USA could easily forget there is a good reason to admire it as a country. You are a fantastic reminder. Thank you. Yes, that is a very good uh, distinction. When I refer to taxpayer dollars, I'm talking about immigrants who pay taxes and don't get benefits from that. I'm talking about um, small businesses who pay full taxes. I'm talking about middle class people who pay a higher percentage of taxes than the rich people who can afford to find loopholes, uh, churches, who are tax-exempt religious organizations like Scientology, for example. Uh, and, of course, you know, they and corporations who weasel out of taxes but are considered people, even though immigrants who pay taxes get none of those benefits. Um, so I'll be clear uh, next time. Thank you. And from Melissa and also Martin, hey, AG and company. This is from uh, Missy from Canada. been a patron for about a year now. I've felt at home with your community of well-informed and caring people. I'm a bit of an American news junkie that I sometimes forget I'm actually Canadian, but I indeed am. Anywho, just wanted to correct the comment about guns per capita. When a Canadian assault rifle uh, ban was mentioned, AG thought there were more guns per capita in Canada than the U.S. It's not true at all. Uh, here are the numbers. The U.S. has approximately 89 guns per 100 people, ranking number one in all countries. Canada has about 31 guns per 100 people, ranking 13th globally. And a producer's note from Amanda Reeder, updated 2020 numbers show that Canada currently ranks 7th or 8th globally for gun ownership. Depending on the source, the United States does consistently rank at the highest numbers of guns per capita in my research. All right. Well, thank you very much for those corrections. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, it's, it's important to us that we get everything right. So if you have any, please head to MullerSheWrote.com, click contact and select corrections. Build us a compliment sandwich. We'll get it right eventually. And with that, let's get to the news with just the facts. All right, let's listen to that Glenn Kirshner interview, I promised. And after that, we'll have Jordan on with hot notes and we'll have updates on Deutsche Bank, Mazars, the Mueller grand jury materials case, along with some fresh Manafort news and the Hipsy transcripts. So here we go. Let's listen to this. All right, everybody. Uh, joining me today because uh, I have to 
discuss this today. I cannot wait until Sunday's Mueller She Wrote show. Uh, this is, to me, the big news. I keep getting tweets of people saying, oh, you're being distracted from what's really going on. This isn't a distraction. This is the fucking story. And joining me today to talk about it is former federal prosecutor, 25 plus years, I think, at D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. If I had hair, it would be on fire. <laughs> we can. I, I have a wig you can borrow if you just feel like going through the motions. Um, so as everyone I'm sure who listens to my podcasts, our podcasts, has heard by now, um, it, as a matter of fact, Glenn, I, I just made a, a one-line post in our Facebook group, you know, oh my fucking God, I think is what I said. And I didn't have to say anything else, and everyone knew what I was talking about today. And that is the Department of Justice. Tim Shea, uh, I should say, uh, on behalf of the Department of Justice, has filed a motion to dismiss the charge against Michael Flynn, saying, sure, he lied, but he didn't lie materially with respect to a matter under investigation. Uh, Quote, government has concluded that the interview of Mr. Flynn was untethered to and unjustified by the FBI's counterintelligence investigation into Mr. Flynn, a no longer justifiably predicated investigation that the FBI had, in the Bureau's own words, prepared to close because it had yielded an absence of any derogatory information, unquote. So basically what they're saying is lying to the FBI isn't enough of a crime. You have to be lying about something material to an investigation that's happening into you that's relevant. And the the DOJ here is saying that the, the FBI was found really they were about to close the counterintelligence investigation. There was absence of derogatory information. They even quote Jim Comey in this filing saying Jim Comey said, this is a close one. This is a close one uh, to get their point across. What say you about this dismissal? Yeah, please don't listen to those purdy words that they tried to put into that phony legal document justifying Donald Trump, Bill Barr's and Tim Shea's corruption cronyism and favoritism don't buy any of it because what what mike flynn did after talking with the russians about sanctions which he had no business doing he then lied to the vice president of the united states about it as donald trump acknowledged in his tweet and i believe the vice president also acknowledged when it happened and then He lied to the FBI about it. What that does is that compromises not only Mike Flynn, but our entire national security because he was the national security advisor lying to the vice president about enormously consequential national security matters. Do not buy into, you know, that legal, that faux legal document that was signed trying to justify why they were moving to dismiss Mike Flynn's knowing voluntary and intelligent guilty plea is a bunch of hogwash. It's corruption, plain and simple. And I even I'm loath to say the Department of Justice moved to dismiss the case. Donald Trump moved to dismiss this case for corrupt reasons period. And what do you uh, what do you take? But normally when I see these documents, there's four or five signatories on there. Uh, I think Van Grack withdrew in a very terse one statement, one line statement to the court. No one else has signed this document besides Timothy Shea. 
And I was wondering what that, what does that say to you? So yeah, Timothy Shea is a Bill Barr acolyte or more accurately now lackey. And Bill Barr, we know, is a Donald Trump acolyte and lackey. So here's what that means when no prosecutors assigned to the case would would actually put their names on this motion to dismiss. This is the third time this has happened. It happened in the census case when the government was flip-flopping positions like crazy trying to appease Donald Trump. The prosecutors all withdrew from the case because they were not going to do something they perceived was improper or unethical. Yeah, and they were doing damage to themselves in the eyes of the court, too, by not being candid, right? So I, I, I remember that from that uh, weekend uh, conference call with the judge where the judge is like, WTF, everybody. And they're like, we don't even know, bro. And we're sorry. We, you know, we're really sorry about this. We thought we had it. And they they felt very abandoned by their own department, it felt like. And, and you know what? Can I speak up for the 110 or 115,000 Department of Justice employees? Because I was one of them for almost a quarter of a century. We don't do things that are unethical or they're going to make us look like idiots in front of the court. Because, you know, we're not going to walk in there and just parrot some line by the president if we know it's unlawful or if we know it's unethical or if we know it's not supported by any sort of law or precedent. We're not going to look like fools. The only thing we have left to do in those circumstances is remove ourselves from the case, withdraw from the case and say we will have no part of this dirty deal, this drug deal, which has been said before. So the census prosecutors, the team had to walk off that case. The Roger Stone prosecutors had to all walk off the case and one resigned from government altogether when Bill Barr swooped in to try to tell the uh, the prosecution, hey, you got to go easy on Roger Stone, Donald Trump's friend. The three prosecutors said, we're not doing that. It's not ethical. We're out. Now, here we have it happening a third time when the only name on today's motion to dismiss the Flynn case is the U.S. Attorney Tim Shea, not a single line prosecutor. And I know some of them who were assigned to the Flynn case apparently were willing to sign it. This is this is corruption. And it's there's no legal basis for any of this. It's all cronyism and corruption. Now, Van Grack went on to be appointed head of the new FARA violations unit at the department. And we all know, I think, one of the crimes that was sort of forgiven uh, in exchange for his cooperation, for Flynn's cooperation, was that he failed to register as an agent uh, for Turkey. Uh, and he was going to be a, a cooperating witness in, in his business partner's case, who was also who was charged with fair violations of Turkey, that Bijan Rafikian or Bijan Kian. And Van Grack is the fair guy now. Question for you on the statute of limitations. Uh, is it five years for a FARA violation? I don't know exactly for a FARA violation. What I will say is the overwhelming majority of federal crimes uh, carry a five-year statute of limitations. So, yeah. But you know what? Let's see what Van Grack's shelf life is after he walked off the case today. What do you mean by shelf life? Before he speaks out or quits? I mean, I mean, let's see if somebody retaliates against him, if Trump and Barr retaliate against him for doing the right thing, standing up and mm. apparently walking off this case rather than agreeing that Flynn's knowing voluntary and intelligent guilty plea ought to be Shit canned. And when do you just go on the record and just spill it all? <laughs> Honestly, you know, uh, that's uh, a great question, because we all know if you're a whistleblower, then, you know, you're you've committed treason and you know what we do to, to people like that, according to Donald Trump. So, you know what? 
I wish more people would stand up and speak out. I hope they do moving forward, but I'm not optimistic because we haven't seen much of it. But I also know it's a hard decision because people are literally putting themselves and their families in harm's way if they cross Trump. Yeah, that is very true. Um, I, I think back to the guy who from the Rand Corporation who leaked the Pentagon Papers. I believe he went to prison. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, not an easy decision. No, uh, it can't be. And there's no guarantee of what happens in November, especially if you're in the department and you know what Russia's up to and you know how much the cheating is happening. Uh, you, you can't, I, I, you know, might not uh, have every confidence in the election uh, in November. But um, it, it, something else that came up in this document, um, they are saying that the FBI never told Flynn... Uh, that lying to them was a crime, and that he also never really solidly lied. He mostly said, I do not recall, um, et cetera, even though on the phone with Andy McCabe uh, beforehand, he said, you guys record all these conversations anyway, you know, you know. Uh, and there are tapes of these conversations, mind you. Uh, they were going to be released by Sullivan, but then there was a quick meeting DOJ behind the scenes uh, with the Mueller team, and they're like, no, no, no. And and so that that sort of just got dropped immediately. Um, so here we are. Uh, I don't, I, I, this, I think it, that just goes back to the don't believe all the bullshit you read in this document type of a situation. No, it's, it's not a legal document. It's a propaganda piece, pure and simple. It's, you know, it's no different than, us being told that chocolate rations are up after the government has cut our chocolate rations, a la George Orwell's 1984. You know, truth isn't truth. Truth is not truth to these people. This is, um, this, for some reason, this seems bigger to me than the stone or the census or this seems more brazen to me. Is it, is it, is it? It, it, it is um, because, you know, all of it, whether it's Manafort or Stone or Flynn, it involves um, contacts with, you know, whether it's uh, WikiLeaks or Russia or Ukraine, you know, the kind of contacts that potentially compromise our country. Um, now, Flynn, I think, is the most dangerous and damaging because, you know, the National Security Advisor to the president, for gosh sakes, lying about contacting the Russians and talking about sanctions. And I mean, what in the world, unless we had, you know, uh, an army or a military general who had sort of covertly defected to Russia and was now going to misdirect our troops. I mean, that is an analogy that I think in a very real way sort of characterizes the danger that Mike Flynn posed. And, you know, the, the fact that he's, He's not going to be held accountable for it now, although let's put a pin in that because I think we're going to talk about Judge Sullivan's, mm -hmm. op Judge Sullivan's options in a minute. Mm -hmm. But not only, you know, assuming the case does get dismissed, I predict you're going to see Donald Trump invite Flynn back into the administration in some capacity. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, wow. That, that I would feel so much safer uh, knowing a compromised uh, not just compromised by Russians knowing that he lied, but uh, Turkey knows, and uh, and who the hell else? Um, I'm sure the Five Eyes are in on it. But uh, now, let's—I'm the eternal optimist, right? Today, I'm just like, oh my fucking god! Like, I today is is a hard day uh, for me. However, 
I am the eternal optimist, and I know that it's Judge Sullivan. And this is a motion to dismiss. This isn't a we get to dismiss by. You can't do that without leave of court. Can you tell us what that is? Sure. Um, And, you know, there is an enormous black cloud hanging over our country at the moment as a result of this. But there is this faint silver lining that I can see. And that is when the government files a motion to dismiss a case, the government cannot unilaterally just say, you know, and therefore the case is dismissed. It is a motion that goes to the judge and the judge has to decide whether to grant the motion to dismiss or deny the motion to dismiss. Because right now, the posture of the case is it's pending sentencing. Uh, 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 Mike Flynn pled guilty under oath and affirmed it a number of times, his guilt of the crime uh, in Judge Sullivan's courtroom. And it's Judge Sullivan's case, right? It is in his hands, in his jurisdiction right now. So, and, and what I will say is having litigated in front of Judge Sullivan when I was a federal prosecutor in D.C., He is, I'm going to say, one of the best people in the country to be handling this case right now because the man, first of all, he's a a lion and something of a legend in D.C. criminal justice circles. He, if there's one thing that he cannot tolerate, it's government, governmental misconduct. Mm. And I know firsthand because he called my office to the carpet a number of times in the years I was an AUSA in D.C., when he got even a whiff that the government might be playing some kind of games. Well, this isn't the government playing games. This is just rampant government corruption in you know broad daylight. He is going to want answers at a minimum. So here's what he can do. He can order a, an evidentiary hearing on the government's motion to dismiss. He can demand that prosecutors, he can even demand that Bill Barr take the stand and be placed under oath and testify about you know, the decision to do this and whether it is a, whether it's justifiable, whether it's righteous, whether it's, you know, the right thing for the criminal justice system to do this. And, you know, he can deny the motion. And if if he denies the motion, he will then say, let's go to sentencing. Now, inevitably, there will be an interlocutory appeal, an appeal before the case is over to resolve whether he correctly denied the motion to dismiss But if anybody is going to boldly move to protect the integrity of the criminal justice system and our country in a very real sense, it's Judge Sullivan. So I'm hopeful that he will deny the motion, order an evidentiary hearing and air some of this stuff out Hmm. um, in in his sort of determination to, to do right, to do the right thing and to do justice. Yeah. And a couple of things. I mean, the Department of Justice knows Sullivan has to dismiss this case because they've said in their filing, hey, I, we just want to remind you that the court has never just not dismissed a case if, if the prosecutors have asked for it. We just want to remind you of that. And he also doesn't take kindly, Sullivan doesn't take kindly to uh, leniency because someone was a general or in the military, if we remember from uh, his uh, ruling in the Petraeus case, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. And it's not even leniency for being a general. Sullivan will appropriately hold somebody to a higher yes. standard if they are a general, particularly on matters of criminal, you know, violation of national security matters. So, you know, they... And here's the thing. I love when people say you can't do this because it's never been done before. (laughs) There's something called precedent. And you know how we make precedent? 
doing something for the first time. If, if we never did something for the first time, there would be no precedent on any legal matter. And I'm telling you, Sullivan is the guy to do it. I'm not saying he's going to do it. Let's assume he goes the other way. Let's assume that at the end of the day, he decides to grant the motion to dismiss and the case is over. Here's the other little bit of silver lining that's lurking behind this enormous black cloud. He will dismiss the case without prejudice. All that means is the case is dismissed for the time being. And come January, when we have a law abiding president and a law enforcing attorney general, boy, one of the first cases that will need to be brought is the criminal case against Michael Flynn. And Flynn lied, I think it was in January of 2017 to the FBI. So that plenty of time, five year statute of limitations. We got till what, 2022? Yeah. Yep. We have a year. We have a year. All right. Well, it sounds like if there's anyone, any judge in this country, that's our last best hope um, for something, uh, at least a dismissal without prejudice. Is that correct? Without prejudice? Without prejudice, yeah. Then, the, only, the only reason to dismiss something with prejudice is when, you know, the government has been involved in misconduct that is detrimental to the defendant's rights. Mm-hmm. This government, this attorney general, is involved in misconduct that is benefiting the defendant's rights. And that is something in my 30 years as a prosecutor I don't think I've ever seen before. All right. Well, thank you for <laughs> thanks for discussing this with me today. And thanks for uh, that little bit of um, silver linings at the end. Uh, I look forward to. Uh, I mean, what, what, what's the timeline on this, do you think? I mean, this motion was just filed. I'm assuming uh, no one's going to file a counter motion since everybody dropped off the case that was a prosecutor's with the, with the DOJ. So what what's next is just Sullivan pop a minute order in and say yeah Flynn well, Flynn's lawyers will probably file an, uh, a reply to the government's motion to dismiss either joining in the motion or you know it's this sounds a little bit idiotic but not opposing the motion mm-hmm. um, but they're going to want to keep their heads down because they're already you know like way ahead in the game and then I predict uh, Judge Sullivan will set some sort of a hearing um, probably I, I'm completely guessing now because COVID is making things a little bit challenging on the calendaring front, but, you know, probably within the next few weeks. Okay. All right. Cause I know uh, Walton's hearing is still June 18th for the unredacted Mueller report. I'm assuming Sullivan has not only seen the entire unredacted Mueller report, but a lot of other uh, evidence um, that's not in the Mueller report that we aren't privy to. I think he has, because I was in the courtroom on the, the first go round when he tried to sentence Flynn. <laughs> and it was clear that Judge Sullivan was privy to information that we didn't have because he just went off on Flynn. He said, you know, sir, you arguably sold out your country. He pointed over his right hand shoulder to the flag that stands in his courtroom. And he said, you have dishonored everything that this flag stands for. And, and, you know, frankly, sir, I'd like to know why you are not charged with treason. So listen, <laughs> Sullivan knows a whole lot more than we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thanks again for, for taking the time to talk with me, talking me off, talking me off the ledge there. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, everybody, um, former federal prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner, where can they find you? So on Twitter, Glenn Kirshner, too. And then I have a YouTube channel where I'm trying to, you know, post a crime a day. It's hard to keep up with the Trump administration, but uh, it's just under my name, Glenn Kirshner. And I'll be posting something tonight about the, the Flynn debacle. 
All right. Thank you very much. Uh, All right, everybody, stick around. Uh, We've got more show coming up right after this. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Noom. Finding the best way to achieve your health goal is hard, especially if you want to make lifestyle changes that last. Thankfully, Noom gives you the expert coaching and community support you need to make sustainable progress on your goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight or get fit for good, Noom is here to help you get there. Uh, Personally, I want to focus on better self-care and feeling confident and having more energy. And I love that Noom adjusts to my lifestyle. It helps me understand the psychology behind better decision-making through features like tracking steps and recommending healthy recipes. Uh, You can log your blood glucose levels, workouts, meal plans, and more with Noom's intuitive color grading system. Noom seamlessly integrates into your life and makes it easy to keep track of what you eat and learn about your eating patterns to help you make better choices. And with Noom, they stress moderation over restriction. No food is good or bad or guilty or off limits. And if you get off track, there's no shame. Just tips to help you get on back, track, back on track tomorrow. And we're all strapped for time, but Noom only asks you to commit about 10 minutes per day. So join the Noom community where you'll be paired up with a virtual health coach and you can chat with your goal specialist and Noom, the Noom community of, of other Noomers to get help with people you know, from people with similar goals. You can read up on, on the community Noom blog to empower yourself to make your health goals even more attainable. Uh, and it's really been helpful for me. I've been using Noom now for over a year, year and a half, and it's really helped me out through uh, quarantine to, to because it's just such a different world. Um, and so all the lessons and goals and, and uh, the cognitive behavioral approach I've learned through Noom has been very, very helpful. So declassify the secrets to a sustainable lifestyle change at Noom.com slash AG. You can even get started with a free trial when you sign up at Noom.com slash AG. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash AG to sign up for a free trial. Hot notes. All right, welcome back. Time for Hot Notes. The big news this week, uh, as I went over with Glenn in the first segment, is the Flynn news. And I wanted to address, of course, the wider implications of this. Uh, As you know, we've known for three years now that the two main goals for Donald Trump are to lift sanctions on Russia for the invasion of Crimea and to lift sanctions on Russia for the hack of the 2016 election. And also, of course, to be elected and be reelected and make money. And now that he's got Barr running around assigning U.S. attorneys to discredit the Mueller probe, he could actually pull it off simply by interfering in the Stone case and trying to dismiss the Flynn case he may be able to cast enough doubt on the Mueller investigation to get Republicans to lift sanctions, especially since Mitch is in Russia's pocket already. It's not going to take much to push him over, you know, over the fence on lifting sanctions. He's already done it in some cases, and so is Steve Mnuchin at the Treasury, um, along with his new chief of staff, Mark Meadows, as well. So just like the mere announcement that Ukraine was investigating Biden, uh, you didn't, he, he only asked for it an announcement. He didn't have to. He, they're like, you don't have to actually investigate. Just announce that you are. Uh, same is true here. It, 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 he just needs to cast doubt. And he's using Flynn and Stone as pawns to do that via Bill Barr. So he can stay an arm's length away uh, politically by having Barr do it. And this Durham investigation into the investigators may just be the last play in his final move to lift sanctions so he can get the full faith and support of Putin to cheat in our elections on his behalf. It's likely, uh, quote, get the sanctions lifted by the election and we'll help. Don't and we'll fuck you. Uh, I'm sure that if Putin is aware of the approval hole that, you know, Trump finds himself in, that could be the way. But but likely not. Um, he knows Trump can't win without cheating. And he, he may be telling Trump he can pull it off 
Um, but the likely scenario, and I'll put beans on this, is that Durham will come out with the investigation results, and that, coupled with the Stone and Flynn interventions, will be enough to muddy the waters to lift sanctions. Even though the Senate Intel Committee says it's not true, the Intelligence Committee assessment says, uh, you know, it's not true. Uh, the IG Horowitz says that there was enough uh, information to open an investigation. Everything is fine. Um, everything was warranted. Everything that they did to followed protocol. Uh, despite that, um, there'll be some bad things that happen probably, much like the FISA warrant. There were 17 errors made in the in the Carter Page FISA warrant. So that, um, whatever he whatever uh, Durham comes out with, plus the Flynn and Stone interventions, um, and Russia is either going to help Trump because they don't want Biden, who will likely come in and reverse all the sanctions if they're lifted, or they'll hang him out to dry anyhow. Uh, but I don't see why Russia would abandon the election, given what the Dem majority in the Senate and the Dem in the White House would do to him. Though we'll see. But there's one small problem with the Flynn case. The motion Tim file, uh, Tim Shea filed all by his lonesome, because none of the career prosecutors or anybody else in the DOJ, for that matter, would put their name on it, uh, had a clerical error or a technical error in that Tim Shea signed it f under former U.S. attorney uh, for D.C. Jesse Liu's bar number, which makes the entire thing invalid, kind of. Now, yes, they can simply refile this, although I, I, you know, I spoke to Andrew Torres about this. He doesn't, really, he doesn't have a D.C. bar number, so he needs some sort of a a proxy, right? Like a sponsor. And with the Stone intervention, he got some guy um, to, to sign off on it uh, as well uh, from the Department of Justice Criminal Division under Ben Shkowski, who's a, douche, a douchebag, as we know. Uh, but on this one, no one else signed off on it. So they used Jesse Liu's number. And it's hard to do that accidentally. Big red flags come up and say, your name doesn't match your number. You can't file this. But they did anyway. Um, and I, even if they do refile properly, if he gets a, some sort of proxy or sponsor, I don't think that's going to change Judge Sullivan's position. Um, uh, it does raise questions about what the hell's going on inside the Department of Justice, though. First of all, every single reason Tim Shea uh, gives to dismiss the case, or the lawyers who wrote the garbage motion, gives to dismiss the case against Flynn, have already been argued in front of Sullivan by Flynn's previous legal team when they put in motions for dismiss. Um, and those motions were denied on these things that they're saying in here, materiality of the lie, etc. There's nothing new in this document to consider, which leads me to believe Sullivan will not grant the motion to dismiss. However, I'm sure Sullivan knows if he denies the motion and sentences Flynn, Trump will pardon him. But Sullivan, I don't think, is the kind of guy to make decisions based on speculation about what might happen if he does a certain ruling. I think he just goes by the rule of law. And if it leads to a pardon, then fine, let Trump do his own political dirty work. But uh, if he does, for some reason, dismiss the charges, I asked Andrew Torres uh, today uh, if Trump can pardon a dismissed charge. And it turns out he can, which is a huge bummer. Uh, he, can, he can pardon away these crimes whether Department of Justice goes after him or not, sentences him or not, dismisses the charges or not. Um, but... Uh, so let's say Sullivan dismisses the case with prejudice or without prejudice, meaning it can be picked up again later. And then Trump pardons Flynn. It can't be it cannot be picked up again later. Um, Trump's pardon powers are pretty much unchecked. And I think he loves that. So it's it's going to be interesting. Um, 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, what I did discuss with Andrew Torres, and I think what we both agree will definitely happen, is that whether whether Sullivan ultimately decides to grant this motion or not and dismiss the charge against Flynn, I think he will have an evidentiary hearing. And what comes out in that hearing might might be more important than the ultimate decision, if that makes any sense. But we'll keep you posted either way. And so now, if you're wondering what the future is for Flynn, uh, let's go to Jordan Coburn. Hello and welcome to Jordan's Hot Note. I like how I say welcome. <laughs> welcome to. As if I have a full studio set behind me. Uh, again, just in my kitchen on a desk with three legs instead of four. It's been like this the whole time, which is amazing that it hasn't fallen over, honestly. All right, my uh, hot note here um, comes from reporting by the Daily Beast. And it's about the D. I know AG's going over the Flynn stuff in detail. Um, that old Flynn stuff. But what I am going to be talking about is the Trump administration's plans for Flynn afterwards. So the DOJ announced Thursday that they want to drop charges against Michael Flynn. Sullivan, the judge for that case, can still deny that motion. Um, however, if he doesn't deny the motion, then apparently what I read and what I understand is if Sullivan like lets that happen, basically, then he can't be retried. So fingers crossed for Sullivan denying the motion, but that's what the DOJ wants to do. If they're successful, they're saying not only are they trying to absolve him of uh, any criminality, they're not there. Those are my words, not theirs. Uh, but the Trump administration wants to bring him back into national politics. Nine senior Trump admin officials, campaign staff, longtime advisors, and associates have confirmed that they want Flynn to serve in a public-facing role in Trump's admin. Uh, they're trying to paint and reward him as a martyr. They've been doing this the whole time. You know, they're just continuing to do it. And they they said. <laughs> One even compared the ex-general, when I say they, they, the Daily Beast, one even compared the ex-general who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russian officials to one of history's greatest human rights icons. And this quote's even better. It's from John McLaughlin. He's one of uh, Trump's chief pollsters. He told the Daily Beast on Thursday, years ago, when Nelson Mandela came to America after years of political persecution, you can feel it coming. Can you feel the worst comparison in the world coming? He was treated like a rock star by Americans. Now, after over three years of political persecution, General Flynn is our rock star. A big difference is that he was persecuted in America. That is like the most dumb quote I've ever read in my whole life. It is the, the, I, I also don't think I've ever heard a more offensive comparison in my whole life. Everything about that is completely wrong. God damn. It's so bad. It's so fucking... It's so insane. They're trying... I mean, they've, they, they've just been... Ever since he switched to Sidney Powell and withdrew his plea deal, he's like... Just trying... Trying to, you know, say that the FBI was trying to set him up to lie. And then there was... There were, like, internal notes that came out about the FBI's intentions with their interviews, and, and it did say something about, like, either get him get him to admit what he did, basically, or just get him to lie, and then once either of those things happen, we'll give it to the DOJ and let them decide. That's essentially what the notes said. But 
now the conservatives that have been, you know, constantly touting this idea that Flynn was led into some sort of like lie trap, Venus lie trap, um, that now he's just a sad little bunny that got caught and got helplessly mobbed by this cage of justice, but it's not the case at all, obviously. Also, when I read those notes, I was like, this is not upsetting to me in the slightest because, first off, the amount of times that the these sort of like high-end, when I say high-end, I guess I mean like, I was going to say white criminal, but uh, white criminal. <laughs> Definitely white criminals. That's what I'm trying to say. Thanks, Jordan's subconscious brain for just being direct. When white criminals uh, do their shit, they get to sit here and like, you know, bitch about being coerced into lying and stuff. When it happens, if it's happening to them, I don't care. Because they did the thing. They did the thing 100%. But this happens to black Americans and brown Americans all the fucking time. And they try to, you know, threaten them with like... And this is where the FBI and the local, you know, judicial systems and stuff really fuck up. Is, you know, you get these people that have virtually very little understanding of how the court system sort of functions honestly to like it's scary and then they they do intimidate people into saying that they've done something that they didn't because they say if you just you know plead guilty to this then you won't get this crazy sentence and then there's this person that has like little to no resources to actually combat some huge machine like the court systems and those are the people that have no choice those are the people that wind up incriminating themselves because they weren't able to afford better legal advice and no one was looking out for them and, like, everything is fucked. Those are the people where this shit that Michael Flynn is trying to say happened to him is incredibly problematic. But when it's Michael Flynn and you actually did bad things, no one fucking cares, dude. I don't care. You deserve to be punished. You used your position of power to negotiate deals with foreign governments. You're getting paid by foreign governments. You're a representative of the United States meeting with other representatives of of Russia, lying to your own vice president, doing actions that led to the president that is the most insanely apologetic, like, criminal apologist that we've ever had in the White House, and even he fired you. I have zero sympathy for you. You're a fucking idiot that did this to yourself. So I, I no, I really just, I hope that nobody sees that note and, and buys the sentiment that he is some sort of, you know, like, weak, helpless person that got lured into this trap. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. No, you didn't. Anyways. The position they're trying to get him is unclear. Uh, the source that said this is what they're looking at uh, said that it was the, it's maybe like a job in the administration, a role for the 2020 campaign or some other position. But one White House official did say back in May of 2017, right around when the, all this stuff was really going down, uh, that Trump feels really, really, really bad about firing him. And he genuinely thinks if the investigation is over, Flynn can come back. And it looks like Three years later on the dot, that plan is coming to fruition. So, 
We'll see what happens. Flynn, I do not feel sorry for you, and you are not Nelson. Nelson Mandela. God damn it. Nelson Mandela. You are not him. For many reasons. That should be so painfully obvious that that analogy wouldn't come out of any of your supporters' mouths. But you have zero concept of race as a group, so of course uh, you would invoke that struggle with zero regard for any reality. Alright! That's been it, everybody. Thank you for listening, and uh, stay well, and be well, and I love y'all. Okay, bye-bye. All right, Jordan, thanks for that update. We will be right back with more headlines. There's a lot left in this in this show, so stick around. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This segment of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by my favorite puzzle game app called Best Fiends. One of the things I love about researching the Daily Beans and Muller She Wrote is the further you dig into a story, the more layers you uncover, and that's part of what I love about the puzzle game Best Fiends. The more I play, the more fun it gets. The more I learn, the more I level up my little guys. It's 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 just so much fun, and reaching every new level feels like uncovering a new layer in the story, uh, but it's one you get to take part in. It's it's the longer you play, the more exciting it gets, um, the more strategy is employed. Um, it's amazingly fun, a five-star rated game. The app is free to download. It's uh, got a nice, bright, vibrant design. It's got fun characters. It's got a combination of a fun story with challenging puzzles to engage your brain, which is really good for me to keep it awake <laughs> during this uh, pandemic thing that's going on. But you collect tons of characters, and now you need to use them strategically for each level. I'm on, gosh, I'm thinking I'm level 180 now, um, which, you know, let me know what level you're on, um, you know, hashtag it up for us on, uh, you know, at our, you know, at our Twitter account at Muller She Wrote, share where you're at on uh, Best Fiends. I absolutely love it. It's so relaxing. Uh, they have thousands of levels and they have new levels and events and characters every month. So it's hours of fun right at your fingertips. It's always fresh and new. And you can play offline too if your internet is down uh, or if you're on, you know, if you're in a place where you can't get internet. And with over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, everybody, welcome back. So this week, Bill Barr finally released the transcripts from the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence from the Russia investigation back in 2017. Keep in mind, this is from when the Intelligence Committee was led by Republicans, but uh, these are mostly unredacted and are basically huge beans come true. Everything we've been reporting on for the past three years is basically parsed out in these interviews. Uh, There are dozens of interview transcripts, including Kushner, Hope Hicks, Andy McCabe, Podesta, an FBI agent. Um, And I want to go over the standout information in each of the major transcripts one at a time. Uh, Today I'm going to cover Don Jr. It's a 240-page transcript. Uh, I've read it fully, and I want to tell you about the standout things that, you know, to me. And then, you know, next week, as soon as I read each transcript, I'll I'll come out and I'll let you know what, what I found in it. First, Adam Schiff was very probative in establishing what sort of relationship Junior had with Rob Goldstone. Goldstone. And that's before the infamous email with the subject line, Russia, Clinton, sensitive. So Junior kept insisting he didn't really have an established relationship with Goldstone. He's just this weird flamboyant dude who emails him all the time and he sort of doesn't, he just ignores him. He knows him through Amin Agalarov. Uh, you know, he's his music promoter. And Amin Agalarov, you know, was, you know, performed at the Miss Universe pageant in 2013. And when Schiff asked, was this the first email regarding Russia wanting to help your father with his election? And Junior just answered yes. Basically confirming 
uh, Russia wanted to help with the election. And his lawyer immediately said, hey, hey, whoa, 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 that's a presumptive question. But it was too late. Junior had admitted Russia was in it for Trump by answering in the affirmative. Thought that was interesting. Junior then told Schiff he was working on a on a Trump Tower in Moscow in 2014 with the Agalarovs, as confirmed. Um, or you know, that we were remember when we were like, I think there was a first Trump Tower Moscow besides the one that he was working on during the campaign, and here it is confirmed in this testimony. Um, right there in black and white, Junior said that it didn't go anywhere, and he didn't know why, but we know why because that's how the Russians work. They promise you things, they they dangle stuff, and then. They keep you on the hook, and then they let you off the hook, and then they put you back on the hook, and then they let you off the hook. Uh, Schiff then asked why Junior had, you know, produced an additional three... He failed... Well, okay, so basically, like a day or two before um, this testimony, Junior and his lawyers produced an additional 300 pages of emails. Uh, and, and he was like, why didn't you send these when we asked for them initially? And they they were like... Well, you know, I, we we knew we were coming in here to talk to you, uh, and so we, you know, we, we did a last-minute search, and we found these, and so we, you know, we sent them as soon as we found them. And when asked if they have given the committee everything, Trump cleverly said, everything that I'm aware of, not answering yes, in my view, means he knows there's probably more evidence he hasn't handed over and didn't want to get caught in a lie. Then Junior admits to Schiff... Uh, he did discuss the emails with his father, um, with counsel present after the meeting. And Junior's lawyer, Fuderfoss, interjected to make sure Schiff knew that Trump Sr. also had counsel present when they discussed releasing the emails, therefore giving him a buffer zone on attorney-client privilege, giving him that sort of, uh, you know, that um, the claim that, you know, oh, his attorney was, everyone had an attorney present, so attorney-client privilege. Um, so that was established by Fuderfoss, by Trump, by Trump Jr.'s lawyer. Uh, that implicates them both, by the way, in the obstruction of justice, FYI. The obstruction of justice where, you know, Trump, you know, wrote the statement basically for the New York Times uh, about the emails and the meeting, uh, the June Trump Tower meeting. And um, that's also a lie because we know he discussed it with Hope Hicks and Trump kind of... Uh, was either there on the call or told Hope Hicks which statement to use and what not to include. And also um, Trump kid, kid wrangler Raphael was there as well. Um, though when asked if he discussed it with anyone else, Trump said he did not believe so, which of course is ambiguous enough to be let off the hook. So lie, but not a lie. He was also asked if this was the first time the campaign received an offer of help from Russia or if there are any other subsequent offers. And he said, I don't believe so. Again, lie. We know that Papadopoulos was in touch with Clovis and the National Security Council about offers from Russia with dirt on Hillary. And if you don't think that got back to Manafort and Kushner, you are insane. And of course, if it gets to Manafort and Kushner, it gets to Junior. In fact, Schiff asked multiple times if the Goldstone email was the first and only offer, which sort of when a, you know, when a congressperson asks multiple times, are you sure this and you know, are you be careful with your answer, etc. They know the answer and they have proof of it. And then when asked about the famous reply, if it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer, Junior said, I love it was a colloquial term and that Goldstone was a hyperbolic guy and he wasn't really sure that, you know, what he was talking about and he was busy. Um, and then he had the gall to tell the committee and Schiff that it's clear uh, he wasn't that interested because 
why would he put it, you know, if he was really that interested, you know, why would I put it off until the end of the summer? Which we all know the end of summer was in reference to closer to the election, right? Schiff asked him explicitly if he was putting it off to the end of the summer because he didn't care much about it or if he was saying the end of summer was the best time to receive derogatory information on Clinton. And Trump responded, quote, I don't even know. We were dealing with a contested convention, so it wasn't something I wanted to deal with right now. It didn't matter that much to me. But his actions would dictate otherwise. Uh, Schiff asked, if you weren't that interested in a meeting until late summer... If you if you're you know saying that when you said I love it especially later in the summer if you're trying to tell me that what you meant by later in the summer was it just wasn't that important to you and you could put it off until later in the summer why did you push uh, so hard um, why did you meet almost immediately after you sent that email and Junior said well they pushed so we met with them and this is the best she says what did you mean by I love it and Junior said you know. If a friend says, hey, do you want to go grab a beer after work? Sure, I love it. I think it's a colloquial term of expression. I think it's pretty clear by when I say, you know, if it's what you say, that I'm at least somewhat skeptical of what he's putting out. But again, I'd be willing to listen. And Schiff is such a badass. He says, well, he wasn't offering you a beer. He was offering you damaging information on your political opponent, right? (laughs) I love it. I love having a beer. I love political damaging foreign information. I love it. And then, of course, Schiff asks repeatedly if Junior told his father about the meeting. And in the exchange, Junior tries to downplay the importance of Goldstone again by saying he's hyperbolic, he's flamboyant. Uh, I wanted to vet it out before I went to my dad because Goldstone is weird. Yet he moved mountains to make this meeting happen. People flew out from Moscow to take the meeting uh, almost immediately. And it's an uncomfortable exchange trying to get those two things to match up. And then we get to the three calls, of course. The first one is from Amin Agalarov. The second one is from a block number, and Schiff won't let that one lie. He keeps asking if the block number is his father's. And, and Junior's like, I don't know. And he said, is your, does your father have a block number? And he's, he said, I don't know. And he's like, you don't know if your father's number is blocked when he calls you? And he said, I don't speak to my father that much. I don't recall. I don't recall. And then Schiff straight out asks him if he spoke with his father at 4.27 p.m. that day. And he says, not that I recall. Very uh, Oliver North of him. The third call was the same number as the first call. And Schiff asked if that was also Amin, uh, Amin Agalarov. And again, Junior did not recall. Then Schiff tries to establish that Junior had more details about the meeting before it happened. And when asked if Amin had let, you know, he had these two calls with Amin, had that block number call. And Schiff seems to be certain that they discussed the call. The first call to Amin was two minutes. Um, and he, he just wants to establish that Junior had more details about the meeting before it happened, what was going to be handed over. And when he asked Amin, uh, or when he asked if, if Amin left a voicemail uh, about the content of the meeting, as Junior had indicated, he was like, I, didn't, I don't recall speaking to him. Maybe I spoke to him. Maybe I didn't. Maybe he thinks I spoke to him. Maybe he left a voicemail. He's like, well, did he put in the voicemail what was going to be in the meeting? And Junior says, I don't know. He may have believed we spoke. I just don't remember. It wasn't significant to me at the time. And eventually Junior admits he may have spoken to Amin again about the meeting, but didn't recall And then there's a sidebar conversation with Trump's lawyer. And then Trey Gowdy comes in and questions him and helps him establish that he did not know it was illegal to to talk to this, to talk to Russians about potentially having dirt. And that's significant because we know Mueller didn't charge Junior because he was too stupid to be a criminal. He didn't know. 
He also added, I'm not a lawyer, saying apparently you don't have to be a lawyer to know it's illegal to accept foreign help in an election. And then Gowdy equates Veselnitskaya communicating with Glenn Simpson, a Fusion GPS, to the Trump Tower meeting, when we all know one is legal and one is not. And then Junior lies again when asked later if he knew what form the dirt would be offered would take. He said he did not know, but he did know. And we knew. And he knew because uh, he did public, public reporting shows. It was about donors to the Clinton campaign from people connected to Russia. But that never materialized. Saying, we think some people in, you know, I think it was in Florida, donated to the Clinton campaign. They're Russian money launderers. But that never materialized in the meeting, even though we know it was asked about. And they were told about it. So it's just a lie. It just lies upon lies. But he gets out of it by saying he doesn't recall. And at one point, Trump uh, Jr. admits he texted Hope Hicks about the meeting. When asked if those texts were provided to the committee, he says no. Um, Schiff's like, why? He's like, well, I didn't think they were important. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, sitting there making the assertion that they made this big effort to get all the relevant information to the committee ahead of the hearing. And they, and they handed over those 300 uh, documents at the last minute. And then he admits, he then admits to discussing the New York Times story with Hope Hicks. So he goes from, I don't remember, to, yeah, we talked about it. And at that point, Trump's lawyer starts objecting vehemently and takes a sidebar. And upon returning, Junior lies his pants off about the message Hope Hicks and Trump Sr. now admittedly drafted for the New York Times on behalf of Junior. And the exchange is uncomfortable. And Trump admits Hope Hicks and his dad helped draft the statement. Obstruction of justice. Plain as day. He also admitted he believed his, you know, it was his father that told Hope Hicks to remove from the statement um, to the press that Russia was helping the Trump campaign. And we knew that from the Mueller report as well. And here we have Junior telling Schiff this in the Hipsy testimony. Schiff also establishes Trump Sr. opted to remove the language about the meeting being about obtaining dirt on Hillary Clinton. That didn't make it into the final statement either. That was taken out. And it was Trump daddy who, who wanted the shorter version without those things mentioned. We've, we've gone all over all this uh, from public reporting, and, and now it's coming out in this testimony here. And then only after a long sidebar with his lawyer and another I do not believe so kind of answer, Schiff establishes that um, uh, after that, Schiff then establishes that that particular G20 that Trump was returning from when he was on the plane helping Hope Hicks craft this statement uh, to the press, that that G20 included clandestine meetings with Putin himself. And of course, Junior didn't recall. And then finally, when Swalwell asked Junior if he had any conversations with his father about the meeting, and Junior says he was certain he didn't recall, Swalwell responded, being certain you don't recall is different than being certain it didn't happen. And Junior says, I never said I was certain it didn't happen. I said I don't recall. So all in all, Junior says, I do not recall to pretty much every remaining question from the Dems. But those are the standout lies that I could find. We talked about this because I know that Mueller uh, requested the transcripts of these. to, And we thought they were investigating that he lied to Congress. He perjured himself. That never came to fruition. It might have been handed off in Appendix D of the Mueller report and is now buried. But here, here it is, plain as day. I suggest you read this transcript. They, all of them. They're so... They're full of pretty much everything that, we, that we've been saying. Uh, it's on the HIPSI website, the House of Representatives Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence website. So check that out. And 
in other news, um, Judge Roberts, um, Chief Justice Roberts, has issued an administrative temporary stay in the Mueller grand jury materials case. Uh, now, <laughs> basically, all the courts going up till now have said DOJ has to hand over the Mueller grand jury materials. They had till May 11th to file, uh, to either hand over the grand jury materials to uh, the House, the Representatives House Judiciary Committee. Jerry Nadler asked for them back in July of last year. Or to get a stay or file with SCOTUS or the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals denied the stay, but Chief Justice John Roberts of the Supreme Court has granted, not granted the full stay. They've granted an administrative temporary stay while they weigh whether or not they're going to grant the full stay. And they've given the House of Representatives until May 18th to, to turn in their filing as to why they oppose the stay. And so we should hear something shortly after May 18th on that. Um, so don't freak out. I repeat, do not freak out. Uh, a lot of people are going around saying, Chief Justice Roberts just blocked the Mueller grand jury materials forever. We're all going to die. It, that is not what happened. He's issued a tiny temporary stay, giving the House time to file their objection to the stay while the Supreme Court weighs the stay. I don't know what the ultimate goal is going to be, but this is not the end of the road. So just wanted to let you know about that. And um, of course, tomorrow, or day after tomorrow, Tuesday, is the Mazars and Deutsche Bank argument in the Supreme Court. Uh, that, uh, you know, House versus the, you know, they submitted subpoenas for Deutsche Bank information and information from Mazars, and that will be heard in oral arguments that we can listen to on Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. So I will be listening to it. Um, and because of, expect Clinton v. Jones to come up a lot, um, because that is the ruling from Supreme Court previously that says a president isn't immune from these kind of uh, investigations in private life. And this is even a step further away from that because they they aren't demanding it from the president or they aren't demanding it from private citizen Trump. They're demanding it from third parties, Mazars and Deutsche Bank. So SCOTUS should not be ruling uh, or dismissing this case. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. They did ask for briefs on justiciability. Uh, and... We'll see what happens. Actually, the briefs on justiciability are in the Mueller grant. Are they in the McGann case? <laughs> I'm sorry. I should know this uh, all off the top of my head immediately. They asked for justiciability in the McGann case. Um, so they did not ask for justiciability in this case, but I'm sure it will come up. Uh, and I think that the the obvious precedent here is Clinton v. Jones. Uh, and that's according to George Conway, Kellyanne's husband, who wrote a really interesting opinion uh, opinion piece in the Washington Post about it. So definitely check that out. And I'll be listening and we'll be telling you about it next week. And that is our show for today. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it very, very much. And thanks to Jordan for your contribution to the show. Thanks to Glenn Kirshner. Uh, for the for the amazing interview and we will see you next week until then take care of yourselves and take care of each other i've been ag and this is muller she wrote muller she wrote is executive produced and directed by ag and jordan coburn with engineering and editing by mackenzie mazell and starburns industries 
Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes and they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat 
with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.